Welcome back to another episode of the Collecting Keys Friday Focus. We have today a case study with one of our scale members, Wes Steimel. He's got a heck of an awesome story. I reached out to Wes after this deal closed. I was like, we got to bring this one on. I think this is going to be a great deal case study just because it's such an odd one. It's great. But Wes, you've been in the scale community for how long have you been? It's been quite a while now. You're like one of our OGs. Year, I think I joined right at the beginning of January or uh, February last year. Yeah. So you're an OG. You went to KeysCon down in Scottsdale, which was awesome getting to meet you in person. And I had a lot of fun at KeysCon too. It was super cool to get to see everybody and, and all the growth everybody went through, including myself. So Wes, for uh, our audience that doesn't know you, just give us like a quick elevator pitch on you and your business and kind of how long you've been doing it and, and what your business looks like. Sure. Wes Steinle, I'm in the Kansas City market. Been doing real estate full-time for a little less than two years. Left a W-2 back in, I guess it would have been 2022. Took a little sabbatical family trip for a few months and then really dove in head first and and made it the full-time gig towards 2022. Yeah. And so you're doing obviously off-market, you're wholesaling and flipping, right? Yep. And then do you have a buy and hold portfolio? Do you keep any of these properties? Yeah. So actually, before I left my W-2, I had started collecting rentals uh, back in 2018. Gotcha. And you know, part of the strategy off-market is find stuff that I can keep in my portfolio, mm-hmm. wholesale stuff that I don't want, and then also be able to flip right. good deals. And my yeah. wife got licensed uh, early last year as well, so she can sell our flips and we can pocket that commission. Right. Save a little money there. So do you, uh, do you like what you're doing over your old W-2? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you definitely get, as we'll get into, get to meet a lot more interesting people Yep. and you could in the corporate world, a lot more flexibility and, you know, there's really no ceiling on, on what you can earn and exactly learning and skill community is you learn how to scale your business. It's, uh, using leverage in, in different ways than just money. Totally. Absolutely. And then you get to be around cool people and do cool stuff and you don't have to be limited by the confines of your day job. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive into this deal. I'm excited to talk about this one. So what kind of property was this? Uh, it was a single family house on the north side of Kansas City. It was a three bed, two and a half bath, uh, built in the early 2000s. Just a, a nice property in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. Sounds like the kind of deal we're all going after, a new build off market deal. So how did you find it? Uh, as a direct mail lead, it came into my system on March 24th. 2023? 2023, okay. yeah. And I think that mailing had gone out probably the end of 2022. Okay. So yeah, you mailed it. It's probably the super January mailing that she called right on. Right on. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of the timeline that's to be expected. And then what's the seller profile? Who are they? What list did they pop up? What did this look like for you? It was a, a divorce list is where it came from. Oh, okay. So we pulled divorce data from the state website here in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Use prop train for data, but it's not very accurate, especially for some of the niche lists. Mm-hmm. So um, I was pulling that data myself. Now my VA does that. Right. Yeah. Prop stream is great for when you're pulling like macro data. Yeah, you, the one tough thing about prop stream is, and this goes for any data provider, by the way, it's not just prop stream, is that there is a lag compared to what you can do. If you can go into your county website or what, you could always walk into your county and ask for that data it's going to be the freshest, right? Because the minute that somebody files for divorce, the county gets that record and you can now see that where PropStream may be three months behind or a month behind or something like that. So you kind of get a competitive edge by getting more accurate data and more timely data by doing that. And so I'm assuming uh, you said your VA does it now. So they just probably go in, log in, 
or get onto your county website, I should say rather, and actually pull down that data and then you skip trace those people and get mailing addresses and phone numbers and all that? Yep. If she's going to the court website, looking up to new divorce filings each week, then we'll jump over to PropStream or well, she used the county data to find the people and the address where they reside and then go to PropStream right. and add it to our data list there and then we'll start mailing them. Perfect. I mean, anything that gets recorded at a county, you know, is data that you can use, you know, divorce, obviously bankruptcies get, get filed there as well. Unfortunately, obituaries, you can, you can look at those and see, you know, Hey, maybe the family wants a quick sale and, and you know, it's an inherited property. So you kind of look at those types of lists. We've also seen police records, you know, if there's somebody that, that gets arrested or has some sort of life event, I would caution, you know, you know, look at that and see what kind of the records they are and like what you're actually trying to pursue as you do that and put your own lens of filter on that. But like, those are life events where people may need to, to sell their property and we can provide services to. Okay. So we know what kind of property this is. The seller was, was divorced. Well, let's talk about the story. So I want to start with, you said you mailed in January. Was that the first time you probably mailed this list? And then she called in, in March. She would have gotten mailed the first big batches of mail started going out in November. Okay. Um, so likely she'd received a couple pieces of mail before she picked up the phone and called me. Okay. You know, that's not uncommon to having to mail the same person, you know, you, that's why we do it consistently because they may not pick up the phone on the first one. And then you, you talked to her in March. When did you actually get it under contract? So we got it under contract in, would have been August. Wow. So you talked to her from March to August. Right. It's like how many follow-ups were like a lot of phone follow-ups, text follow-ups? What did that look like? Yeah, there was a lot. So going back to that first call and this kind of, this was an indication of how this thing was going to play out. So the first call, she called me on March 24th. I had actually just walked into the gym. I was getting ready to work out with one of my buddies. I didn't make it out to the floor. I sat and listened to her talk to me for over an hour. <laughs> and then he had to go back to work. <laughs> oh, geez. So I just went back to my truck, hopped in. I was going to run an appointment, listen to her talk. She was on the phone for two hours. Wow. I barely said a word and she was all over the place. So sure. Her name was Carol Baskin. Not the Carol Baskin, though. Not the Carol Baskin, okay. but Carol Baskin. And so I thought from the call, how crazy it sounded in her name, I thought it was just somebody messing with me. You get that from time <laughs> oh, to yeah. time when you send out direct mail, people just call to mess with you. So I kind of wrote it off. Mm. Exactly 30 days later, she called me again and asked me if I was still interested. So at that point, I knew she was, one, for real, yep. and two, she was motivated, you know, you send out direct mail to get people to call you. She called me twice. So yep. from there, I started taking the lead a little more seriously how I probably should have. But in terms of the follow-up, I went back to the CRM and looked. I had 32 connected calls with her. Wow. 16 and a half hours of talk time. Wow. And over 150 texts. Dang. And that doesn't count the calls you made that she didn't answer. Right. You're saying 32 connected calls. So you're on the phone on average with her for like 30 minutes a call. Yeah. Wow. A lot of that was, I mean, I had calls that were two and a half hours long, which was a lot of just listening yeah. to her talk. Yeah. Towards the end of it, we figured out how to like get the information we needed mm -hmm. and get back off the phone. Yeah. Yep. But multiple times throughout this, she says that she was committed to me. There was a little snag in that she didn't have any income at the moment. She needed the money from the settlement to even show that she had money in the bank to either qualify to buy a new place or rent a place. So that became 
a little bit of an issue in, in getting the deal done. So she, yeah, because she was divorced. And when you say settlement, was it a settlement from her divorce or a different type of settlement? She needed, uh, I guess, the closing, the settlement of our deal. She needed those funds in her bank to, to move, qualify to lease a place because she didn't have any. Right. And that's not uncommon. That's a tough hurdle we have to hop over as wholesalers a lot of times is like, they want to sell, but they're kind of stuck. They need the money to move out. And that's usually to get an apartment or to sometimes buy a new house. Or we've had people that they just want to buy an RV and mm-hmm. drive around the country. So it's just what they need to do. So how did you, how did you kind of cross that bridge? Well, she was kind of squirrely. So the plan changed multiple times and there's some, some history, like there's some funny things going on. And part of the reason that she wanted to sell is she thought that there was a plot to kill her. Somebody was hired to kill her and she'd been assaulted. Sounds like the real Carol Baskins. Yeah. It oddly enough. So when I walked the house, we were walking upstairs. She said she hadn't been in the basement since she had been assaulted and there was blood on the walls and blood on the door going out of the basement. And she said that that was from the struggle and there was broken drawers in the kitchen that she said when she was fighting to get a knife. Wild. This is all alleged. There was never any charges filed or anything, but this is part of the reason why she needed to leave. Right. In the house, every window in the house had like a wind chime on it. This is her booby trap. Dang. The steps coming up the back porch had like seven upside down lawn chairs on it so nobody could get up. <laughs> Jeez. Just an interesting, interesting seller. Uh, you see some weird stuff out there. I'll be honest. That's not uncommon. Part of the follow-up process was getting to the settlement of the divorce. So the the divorce actually settled in July, and that's when the ex-husband quick claimed his portion over to her. She got the house in the settlement. Okay. And then at that point, she was looking for somewhere. She wanted to move to Arizona, but she didn't have enough money to qualify for a loan. She couldn't travel to Arizona to look at places. So it was a lot of trying to help her figure out what the next steps were. Eventually, she found an apartment complex here in Kansas City that would rent to her if she had two years of rent in her bank account. Oh, wow. So that's, we had to settle, we had to close, she had to get that money and then she could move in. So how did you work that on the paperwork side of things? So because that's basically like, you don't want to just give somebody money that hasn't moved out, right? Right. So we did, we did what we call a post-close addendum. Um, We wrote it into the PSA, the purchase sale contract that there would be some post-close occupancy, but a little bit of detail in there. And then I wrote up what I call post-close addendum to outline how long she was going to be there, when she needed to be out, and what the penalty was if she wasn't. And we were going to hold back some funds until she knew. Right. So, so she didn't get it all at once. She got right. some of it enough to get her to move out. And then once right. she moved out, she got the rest. And got the balance. And also we negotiated an actual, like a prepaid rent for the weeks that she was there. It, nice was given to me on the, on the settlement state credit. Nice. That's always good to do because really you got to motivate them and you're helping them move out. Right. So they need those funds to get into this apartment, but you don't also want them to linger around and, you know, sit there comfortably because they have no, if they have no incentive to move, they're not going to move fast. And then the risk of that, when some of these, you know, sellers honestly are, are a flight risk is that they, that money that they got in their bank account, they spend that on other things. And then by the time they move out, they don't have money to get in the apartment. And now you're kind of stuck with an owner that's become a tenant that you have no recourse to get out and you have to go through a normal eviction process and you don't want to do that. So very smart move on your part. Okay. So you've got her to the point, you've negotiated the deal, 
she's in the property um, and you've closed. Now what's going on in this deal? So we closed on, I think it was uh, September 14th or 15th, something like that. And the move out date was set for October 6th. And really it was relatively uneventful from there. She always had issues, things going on in her personal life. This was no exception. But on October 6th, she was gone. She called me, said she was out. Utilities had been turned off in her name. We went to secure the property. What she took was, it looked like the clothes on her back and her two dogs, like everything else on the house. So, Oh, man. (laughs) It took a little bit more to clean it out than we had anticipated. I think it ended up being two 30-yard dumpsters. And it wasn't like it was a hoarder house. It was just, there was a lot of stuff. You know, they'd lived right. there for 15 years, but the house was 90% remodeled when we got it. That's nice. There was an insurance claim a year and a half previous mm-hmm. and they had done most of the work. And it was during that work that she allegedly was assaulted. Yeah. And then all work stopped. Interesting. So what we needed to do was, you know, touch up some paint, install the carpet on the stairs, which was already with the property, install all the lighting, which was already with the property. We put in new countertops and cleaned it out, really, is what we did. So really, this is all light rehab. Yeah, super light. Yep. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. And so what did the numbers look like on the back end? She pulled in my heartstrings. I offered her just a little bit more because she was in this bad position, which, yeah. again, we talk about it in the community. Don't let their situation or some other buyer entering the deal change your numbers. Mm-hmm. It still worked out for me, but it would have worked out sure. better had I stuck with my number. Mm-hmm. Um, we bought it for two sixty two five. The rehab ended up being about eighteen one, mm-hmm. and we sold it for three forty seven. Yes, and but there's ten thousand that we gave to the for closing costs to the buyer. Yeah, but net. Between mine and my wife's commission on it, we were right at about 31K net. That's awesome. I mean, that really is awesome. On the market, less than seven days, the week of Thanksgiving is when we listed. So, yep. I remember when you were selling, I mean, it moved fast. It was funny because it was a lead that you had worked because we had talked about this in the community a lot. You know, yes. Carol Baskin's name came up a lot because you were working at that for a long time. And I think to speak to that is these aren't things that you just people call in and you close. Some, some of them are. Some are easy. You, they call in a week later, you got under contract, 20 days later, it's closed. Others you work on. And that's part of like building up your pipeline in this business is just like any other book of clients, right? You're calling them and, and when they're ready to sell that you want to be right in front of them and be prepared there. But it turned out fantastic for you. And I'm not trying to make light of this, but it wasn't good for Carol at the end of this, right? Because did she pass away? Yeah. The neighbor called me actually two days before we closed on the sale to tell me that they had uh, found her in her apartment. So whether it was health issues or, or something else. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, because she was kind of acting like a little odd, right? The whole time. And yeah. To me, and I, I, we don't know, but it seemed like a pretty indicative of like drug use or some sort of something in that ballpark, which I only bring this up because it's not uncommon again for a lot of these sellers to be in these weird situations. You just kind of have to work through it and work through yeah. it with them, hold their hands a little bit, kind of understand that there might be some illogical actions that they take, take a step back, lean back in, take a step back, lean back in and, and work with them as, as things happen. Yeah. And through the entire process, it was just, I made it very clear to her that I wasn't pressing her to do anything. This is uh, to her. And it got to the point towards the end where she was like really pushing on me to move forward. Like, right. 
Like, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> what follow up had taken months and months and months. And then she called me one day and wanted to close in seven days. Wow. At that point, I had three other flips going or three other properties that I'd take a lot of time. So I needed to arrange funding and everything. So mm -hmm. reached out to a private lender of mine and we got all that stuff dialed up. So we closed in 14 days from that point. Right. Of course. It was the, I'm not ready yet, not ready yet. And right. like, I need to close tomorrow type of situation, which you mm -hmm. that yeah. outcome. Yeah, for sure. Any like major, uh, other than what we've talked about, any other major like learning lessons or things that you would share with the audience on this one? Like I mentioned at the beginning, take anybody that calls you off a direct mail piece seriously, <laughs> no matter how crazy they sound. Yeah. Don't discount the lead. Always follow up because you never know it's going to be there. And then stick to your numbers. Don't let their situation influence your numbers because the numbers are the numbers. Totally. That's really good advice. Definitely don't let other outside factors influence your offer, your number, because you know what? All the time, a lot of time, you know what you know. Other people are willing to do silly stuff and you don't want that to happen. Sellers obviously, honestly, aren't very informed with the value of their property. So if you're using their number to influence your offer, that's probably a bad idea as well. Just, just stick to your guns and know what you know. So Wes, thank you. I really do appreciate you coming on here. Um, I appreciate you and the scale community, man. You're awesome, dude. You've been in there a while and you're definitely adding value to the other folks too. And I know the audience will like this. So if they want to reach out to you, do you have any contact information you want to put out there? Any social handles or anything like that? Uh, yeah, on Instagram, I'm not super active on there. Usually if I show up, it's my wife has tagged me. <laughs> and again, like there's probably stuff about our flip stuff and our real estate stuff, but I just get tagged in it. But that's Wes Stimel, like no space is Wes Stimel on Instagram. Yep. And then S-T-E-I-M-E-L. Yep. You could probably search me on Facebook, but similar situation. If I show up there, any activity, it's usually my wife tagging me. Right on. Well, if you have any questions about Carol Baskin, definitely hit up Wes or just in general, anything with his business. I know Wes is a good guy. He'll be willing to, to chat with you, but there's a lot more details to the Carol Baskin story other than her sharing the name of the infamous Carol Baskin from Tiger King. Uh, Tiger, it's Tiger King, right? Tiger King. Yeah. Okay. Sounds weird when I say it. Anyhow. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Um, if you want to find out more about the scale community and what we're doing in our off-market real estate community, go to collectingkeys.com slash scale. If you don't think you're ready to jump into that, we also have the Instant Investor Program, which we are now offering. is just an end-to-end -end online course you can listen to, you can watch, and you can learn at your own pace. Um, also on collectingkeys.com, go check us out. If you have questions about those as well, you want to direct them to me, hit me up on Instagram at Investor Randan or any of the other social platforms you use. Thank you and see y'all next week.